Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Well, hey, and welcome to this podcast all the forms, I suppose, of the content recording for Leadership Network and the Microchurch Network Lane. My name is Brian, uh, one of the uh, guides for this channel, just exploring all things in the microchurch paradigm. And I have a joy again today of interviewing my dear friend, Hugh Halter, the uh, the curmudgeon. Hi, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hugh. I had to throw that old nickname back out there. Yeah. It's no, good I, still, to see. I still got the mug my kids got me that says curmudgeon remember the uh remember the muppet guy the guy the two guys that would sit up in the grandstands and heckle yes picture of one of those guys with my name on it, it says dad the curmudgeon <laughs> well we also have rob wegner who's one of the guides for the micro church channel he's going to be helping host this conversation today so well, welcome to the room rob i'm so glad i made it <laughs> <laughs> rob we were not going to go on without you you know that like, we would have thank waited. you yeah. man you have another dapper hat on today this is make it look good hat. man the summer hat bro yeah you got to keep it is a summer hat well hey we've well, hey. Got- uh, this this moment of today to really jump into a conversation around kids and microchurch because this is the question that we get asked like yep. anytime we talk about microchurches there's there's three questions we've talked about this in our podcast and webinars before uh, the first question is what do you do about heresy everyone is really concerned about that even though this isn't a word that we would ever use in everyday life uh, the second question is what do you do about money we, we don't have to go down that road either although Hugh you could talk for a while about that one that's yeah. a one with long time. Long, long time yeah but the third question is what do you do about kids um, and out of those three, which one really is going to give you the most trouble? <laughs> probably not going to be heresy. <laughs> nope. Probably that your kids are going to jack things up. So we got to <laughs> get after it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hugh, we always say you're one of the OGs for, um, for this microchurch world that we live in now. We all learn so much from you. You've written all kinds of books um, on on from tangible kingdom to and to flesh all the stuff that has shaped who we are uh we use it on so many different trainings and just always handing out your books really um so here's here's the question man like our assumption is that you you hate kids um but yet you wrote a book about <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> you wrote a book on children like what's the um what's the righteous righteous brood yeah, the yeah. righteous brood. Yeah. Uh, look, let's just be honest straight off the bat. Uh, Rob and Michelle did come hear me speak on this this last Sunday. First time I've actually talked about it in a church. So, um, but the reality is, you guys do know me. Like we've done, we've been doing micro church stuff for thirty some years, mm-hmm. and I will admit, like, 
if you could do church without children at all, like from 16 years of age, like just wipe them off the board, then we could sit around and just talk, right? And just talk. Like and it seems like have an undisturbed conversation. Yeah, undisturbed, but that somehow God's designed humanity so that we we have to grow up and we have to do life as a family and things are messier. And uh, I used to view the kids like they were like, we just got to figure out what to do with them. Mm. After doing it so many years, I now realize a lot of the witness of the community is what kind of how we do life with our kids. And um, so, yeah, maybe I'm maturing a little bit, but it's just when you've done it for so long, you go, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't like it when they're shrieking. I don't like it when kids shriek. Most people don't like that. But other than that, like there's nothing that makes it easier to connect with real people easier than our kids. Mm. Yeah. I say, even if you don't like your own kids, exploit them because they're going to be way better at introducing new people to you than you are. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think what drives the question is what you're highlighting. It's when people are thinking that a micro church is about a meeting and what do we do with kids during a meeting? Yes. And it, it reveals um, a parad- paradigmatic problem about how we're thinking about the church. Mm-hmm. And we have a church system that segments everybody into different uh, silos and creates a program um, that is supposed to be discipling um, that age group when it's really just mostly delivering content for an hour or an hour and a half. Um, and I, uh, that's what I love about um, your guy's story is the halter family and what you tried to bring into the, you know, kind of the essence of righteous brood. This is about being the family of God. And that actually um, the family is God's design. Um, and, it, and Jesus is radical. He breaks down the biological family. He's like, no, no, no. Actually, the real family is over here. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's all these strays being adopted into a new family. And there's um, a need and a benefit to all the different generations. Like children can actually be a part of discipling adults. Yeah. Jesus, like, you got to be a child. Hello. Right. And, yeah. and then vice versa, of course, like we're, you know, Paul's always talking about the relationship between the different age age groups, like honor the fa- father. Think about the widows. What about, hey, you know, you young men. Um, and it seems like there's been a an embodiment of that um, in your guy's story um, that's, again, multiplied beyond your biological family. And that's really what we want this to be about. Um, so let's talk about microchurch as this extended spiritual family and kind of the parenting dynamics and, and then children having a voice that also elevates the faith of the parents and so forth. Like, uh, let's start with your guy's story. Uh, give uh, really give us a little though, bit of, I want to give you guys some props because when you guys started framing micro church stuff for people, your definition of an extended spiritual family, it opens, it gives permission for people to think about this. So you're right. We're not in fact, right. Just rude. I wasn't trying to give people parenting tips for how to make going to church 
here on your family. The whole church now is operates as a family. So now it's not in the way. They're not in the way. Right in the center of this thing. Um, what did you just ask me? What was the first question? <laughs> he wants to hear your story, like the halter oh, story. Well, I mean, you guys have heard it a thousand times, but um, because we don't have a lot of time, the, the basic backdrop is our son, Ryan, had really severe epilepsy his whole life. From the more, the day he was born, he had 20 seizures. So we, uh, we just had a, a very severe disability in the family that, that rerouted every single day. Everything revolved mm-hmm. around how he was doing. So we could not schedule things. We couldn't get in the minivan and go to the church. We just had to learn how to literally live as missionaries right where we lived. And, you know, nobody was talking about it at the time. Um, so we thought, well, I guess we really can't do ministry like normal people. But that's how God kind of taught us uh, his way, you know. And so now it's a little bit more normal to talk about doing stuff in the home with the family. But that's been our story um, from planting a church in Portland, Oregon, to then planting in Denver, which was really a network of micro churches. Mm-hmm. That was a tangible kingdom story, as you guys know. And then uh, we found an assisted living center for Ryan out here in Alton. And that's what got our family out here. We we knew he was on his last sort of, uh, I guess, couple of years, which ended up being the case. So he passed away about two and a half years ago at the age of 33, was not supposed to have made it past five or six. So um, I, I mean, if we want to get back to the, you know, even behind the backstory, mm-hmm. Ryan's life, it made me a different person. Like I would have been a type A drive the ministry train type of guy. Like I think I would have been set up to just get after it. Ryan slowed me way down and in slowing us down as a family. It just, it taught us all the things that are, are now so critical. Like I, I honestly think God left him with us to teach us mm-hmm. when you know, I guess all the lessons were done or at least enough of them. I think God then took them, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he taught me uh, presence with people. He taught me uh, to look forward to what God will do during interruptions. Uh, you know, just stuff like that, that you would normally go, well, that's anti-ministry. No, it's, uh, you know, when you move slower, oftentimes you're moving faster in, in the spiritual realm. It, it taught us not to try to hide what was going on with our family or uh, not to, you know, wait to invite people over until everything was perfect. It taught us just to go, look, this is who we are today. So if you want to come on in, see our mess watch Ryan have a seizure and then wet himself on the couch, um, then come on over. And that's what people did. And we started to find that our struggle was what was drawing people to Jesus. Mm. Our family and and they got involved and they became our family. A lot of them way before they came to faith, they they became a part of our family because of our common struggle. Then they led us into their struggles and it just got real. They weren't afraid to tell us that their marriage was in shambles that week or, Mm. Don, you know, get Linda caught Don with porn that night. I mean, because they saw the mess in our family, it just made it so normal to just struggle together. And I think that's how all the churches actually were formed was this. So behind all the the rhythms that we talk about in The Righteous Brood, the secret sauce has has been the the real life-on-life suffering that families go through, just raising kids 
And when you really do that with other families, man, you you form a bond that uh, the social bond is there, and then the spiritual bond happens because they they start to come to faith. So, um, so that's kind of our backstory. And you know, after Ryan died a few years ago, now our adult kids are with us here in Alton. And honestly, Ryan, you asked uh, me earlier why we wrote the book. I wrote the book um, because I had a conversation with McKenna here in Alton. Just while I was working on the building, she drove off. And I remember thinking, holy crap, my adult daughters moved to this town with us and are doing this with us. And I remember thinking, oh, it's time to finish that book. Like it it came full circle. Now my own kids are leading mission as families Mm -hmm. and they're, they're suffering too. They're taking on foster care and all sorts of stuff. And um, they have, Sort of, so when we talk about discipleship, to us, the family, the church, it's the primary means by which we actually make a real Jesus person. If, if we want to drop the kids off at the, you know, the age-appropriate Sunday school every week for the rest of their life, I don't know if we will ever see real discipleship because discipleship has to be a, them, them visibly seeing something in our lives that they want to take into their life and then... Mm-hmm. Then they hopefully do that with their offspring. And that, that was really how the church grew over all these years. It did not grow because of a church service. It grew because families were passing yeah. down the story of God to their kids. And so I just think we got to, we got to, you know, as I often remind people, we in the West, especially in America, uh, when you go, well, what do you do with the kids? We're asking a Western question, like you said. We're saying, how can we compartmentalize our kids better? If you ask somebody in the East, what do you do with your kids? They they scratch their head. They're like, what are you talking like? Yeah. And so you have to remember that Christianity is a is an Eastern faith. It's as mm-hmm. Eastern as Buddhism, Hindu. It was, it was in the Eastern context that it was written. So everything you're reading is written to people that if you would have said, what do you do with kids? They would have went, what are, you, what are you asking? They're with us like all the time. <laughs> now, there might be times that, you know, we might, yeah, we might hire a babysitter so we can have some big talk. Um, but it's it's very rare and it's not that critical. Like, it just kind of works out. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you've mentioned, you know, the word rhythms several times. Uh, and I know that was one of the, you know, primary tools we learned early on hanging with you is this 211 rhythm of you know, how often you're gathering to twice a month or whatever to study scripture together or once a month to throw a party, once a month to make the kingdom tangible. And you said, I remember reading, I think, you know, sometimes it's like they all happen in the same week, maybe the same day or whatever. Um, But also know, just knowing your story too, like you went through seasons where you got kids that are playing sports and doing all their stuff and you're orienting your life around them. Like, Like talk about rhythms for a minute and how you adjust rhythms, how you sometimes have certain rhythms that have to change, but then you make new ones. Like, yeah, I'll let you go from there. And and for sure there are seasons, right? I mean, when you're, when you have young couples with no kids, it's a different game for them. They can kind of do what they want when they are in the toddler realm. That's, that's a unique season with all sorts of, Difficult as Cheryl and I are now empty nesters. And so it gave us incredible freedom in some ways. Now we're grandparents. And um, so, the, yeah, you got to take the seasons very seriously and try not to, uh, I guess, hold yourself to some amazing deep yoke of perfection 
there are just seasons that are hard. So I always tell parents, it's not about finding balance. You never, ever get balance. But what you get is opportunities in different seasons. Regardless, so I put the rhythms in there because I think the rhythms can actually work through all of the seasons. So um, and Rob heard me share some of this, but the, the rhythms that we just went, look, Halters just always did this and it paid huge spiritual dividends, evangelistic dividends, uh, and even financial. It's how we actually fixed, fixed and flipped houses every three years. But um, and I'll just give them to you right off the bat. There's the rhythms were having an open house. Right, then an open table, um, open open book, and then an open road. And I'll just give you a quick, you know, one second, one one minute deal. But open home is really about how you use your home, even in a physical space. Sometimes I, you know, now that we have a big post office, coffee shop, and event center, I tell people space making is the new form of van- of evangelism. I mean, you create space for people to come, and they want to be there. It really helps. So. Uh, the halters always bought houses and we always renovated them for people either to add rooms or to blow out rooms so that we could get more people in for parties we always thought about how how can we party in this space together cheryl and i are in a 1200 square foot old farmhouse right now but we blew out all the walls so we could at least get 40 to 50 people inside and then another 40 on the the wraparound deck so we're thinking we can go 90 in our house, you know, type of thing. But we always did that. We would drop walls and put I-beams in. We would figure out where the string lights are going to go, you know, where the fire pits. So uh, having an open house was... Hey, 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 hey. One of the things I learned from Halter is like, uh, party it up, man. How are you going to party this house up? (laughs) I mean, why else have... (laughs) That's how we got the pubs all over the world, right? The the public house, a local neighborhood spot. So I always go like, if your kids can see you opening up the house and they understand why you're, why you're, and uh, it tells them that our whole life is for other people. So it literally cycles them when they see you doing that. And then they started to invite their friends to live with us. They would go mom and dad. Sarah's got a pretty rough family. Um, I know she's been in her car. She's a sophomore. You think we could, you know, so we always were putting up our own kids as friends. Um, And then when we moved here, it's, you know, the, you know, Cheryl and I put up a family of six um, because my daughter asked us to, she said some, a family came through the social work. Nobody else will take them. She knew we would. How did she know that? Because we've always taken them Mm -hmm. and now they, they take them. (laughs) And, uh, and our whole community here in Alton, we all take people in from homeless to uh, moms that are running from violent boyfriends to to middle school kids that don't have a place to stay. So having an open home is a key rhythm. Um, open tables more specifically to the, the eating and talking. Uh, to us, that's where the, I guess, all the magic happens is when you finally can sit down and eat a meal and ask people how their day was or their week or um, and I just don't think the church operates unless we talk and converse. And I just think the food, uh, Luke is, I think, 12 dinner stories of Jesus. It's just food's always around when Jesus is doing his magic. So having an open table, um, the open book part is kind of an interesting one. Uh, I grew up in an era where they said to all the men, you're the spiritual leader. And what that meant was we had to run like family devotions. And I would try to do those with our kids. 
And most of the time we'd end up screaming at each other and I'd be grounding in Holly. Don't come out of the basement for two weeks, you little, you know, and uh, I look at the girl and she'd go, Hey, that went great. Let's do that again next week. That's fantastic. So the open book was what we learned is that um, everything about Jesus is about freedom where Christ is, there's freedom. You know, so I learned early on in my life not to badger Cheryl and to be in the pastor's wife and being in everything. If she was struggling because Ryan was up all night, I'd say, hey, baby, you don't need to show up today. Like, do like, do what you can. Do what's on your heart. And I say, as soon as you can do that with your own children, do that. Let them start making spiritual decisions. Uh, I personally think it should be in the middle school age. Um, maybe even late elementary if they're mature, like where you go, hey, I want you to decide, is this meaningful for you? And if it's not, you know, I think the more you can hand the baton to them, the more they will take ownership and, and it will it will carry the weight. So the family devotions, uh, teaching them, like whenever you want to talk about something, let's talk. And then we, we would, we'd open scripture and I'd go, hey, here's what I think Jesus says about that. But that's what we meant by open book. It's don't, don't pressure push a certain time of week that you're all, cause that could be the worst time for your daughter of that week, you know? And so I think you want to create a space of freedom and ownership and they know you're always the, the dad on the porch, you know, rocking in the rocking chair. You're the, you're the prodigal dad. You're waiting for them to come home every day and they know you're there. And uh, so that's, that's what we meant by open book. I think that served us very well. Our, you know, like we would talk about alcohol, not because I would go, hey, time for the alcohol talk. I would do it after a big, huge blowout. And one of the hockey dads had too many and got a little bit out of control. And I'd have to ask him to go outside the house and I'd drive him home. Then next day I'd go, hey, how do you guys feel about what happened with me and Joe last night? Mm. And then we would talk about alcohol. So that's open book. It's like, it's it's what they were feeling and thinking at that time or something like that. Um, then the can open, I, can, yeah, let ahead. me ask a question too. Um, I'm feeling what, what you're putting down on middle school, high school. Um, but what about when they're little, like preschool, elementary school? Did you all have rhythms in terms of like, Hey, we're actually going to, read the Bible and pray together before we go to bed. That was pretty um, much a good time thing for sure. Okay. We, we also had a thumbs up, thumbs down thing. Almost any meal it'd be, Hey, any thumbs up or thumbs down today? Mm -hmm. um, when we would have people over, they saw us doing toasts instead of prayers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They, they kind of picked up on intentionality all over the place. Um, when the girls mm -hmm. were junior high and high school, McKenna always loved to read scripture and talk about God with me at night, kind of lay in my arms. We'd cuddle. I'd pray over. Allie wasn't into that, but she had always had her Bible under her pillow. And then she would text me from the basement and she'd always say, I'm ready. That's the, that was a text, which meant come down and pray over me. Like mm. somehow I knew that she wanted me to always pray over her. Mm. But she, she didn't want me to cuddle with her or, make her read scripture or something like that. Um, and they both ended up fantastic. So I just go, I think there's different styles. I think when they're younger, you have to be the spiritual pastor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, so in, in micro church, we don't, we got no place to send them. So we're it. So you got to figure out ways that, uh, in our little community here, we have probably 30 toddlers with 
you know, and they all kind of do stuff together. They're all in each other's houses or they meet at the park. And it seems like they're always talking about Jesus with the kids, with all of them. Mm-hmm. And like random could literally be going to the park. They might sit them down and go, Hey, I got a thought for you guys today. Mm. So I think you can have a lot more touch points spiritually with your kids. When you think about doing like, you are the pastors of your own. Right yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, a, it's the model talks. in yeah. Deuteronomy. It's like in the morning, along the road yeah it's these touch points of it's integrated into meals and everyday moments yeah that's what we do the everyday stuff of life we literally mean the really ordinary stuff when they're fighting in the backyard let's talk about how you feel right now and the kindness of jesus toward each other you know what's really what's what's low-hanging fruit is because in parenting you generally screw it up all the time right you lose your temper Mm -hmm. yeah so I found that one of the best things I could do was to just apologize. Hey, sorry, mm-hmm. dad was not very much like Jesus right there about an hour yep. ago. And I want to say, I'm sorry for that. I'm working on that. So even dad saying over and over, that was not very not like the Lord would want yep. me to. Um, that just, I think that's discipling your kids. Absolutely. Just keep screwing up and apologizing is like, it's an easy way to go. <laughs> it's, it's called repent, repent and believe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, Hugh, hit that last one real quick. I know. Um, oh, yeah. The last one is open road, which just means get your kids outside of the bubble. Uh, get them into different contexts. Uh, in our family life, we would send our kids on airplanes all the time for hockey tournaments. And uh, we'd send them on little mission excursions without us to Africa or Central America and scary places. Um, when we were in cities that had really rough inner cities, I would take McKenna for a half day in between hockey games. And I'd say, hey, let's just drive once you see Detroit. And then we get a flat tire. And then I would tell her, hey, people are going to come out and not want to help us. So I want you to look them. This one, she was eight. I want you to look them in the eye, shake their hand while dad changes the tire. And you don't need to be afraid of these people. They're just going to hassle us. And I remember that all happened with me and McKenna. And she was a rock star. She just went out and talked to them all. I changed the tire, got back in. Woo! You know, but like, so McKenna, she grew up not being afraid of people that are poor or people that are a different skin color or any exposure to get them out of that kind of Christian bubble. Um, It's so good for our kids, you know, especially with those that live on the margins. I just think I mean, it's kind of Jesus always says, like, I'm going to be over there with them. <laughs> so yes. if, you want, if you want your kids to find Jesus, I always go, well, if he's over there with those folks, then the best thing I can do is integrate life with those that are struggling, you know. So those are the four rhythms. We'd say they're not they're not keys. They're rhythms that you try to rhythm into your life. And over time, I think what your kids pick up in those rhythms is the way of Jesus. Like mm-hmm. this is how Jesus operates. And so now my kids, they renovate their houses. They always have people over for dinner. Uh, they're all, they're, they're way better than Cheryl and I were about mentoring their kids spiritually. I hear them talk to our grandkids all the time. They're like way, way better than we were. And, uh, and the city that we live in together is a pretty good exposure it's about mm-hmm. half black, half white, very poor. And so our kids, uh, they're learning to not be afraid of anybody and to love everybody. So 
Yes. Hey, Hugh, we got discipleship thing going. I was going to say, Hugh, I know that uh, you guys have created this righteous brood challenge to help people begin to experience these rhythms. Can you share a little bit about that where people can find it? Well, yeah, they can find uh, it at hughhalter.com. can also find it at 100 Movements Publishing. Um, I think it's also on Amazon. Um, it's part of a, a series that I put together called Life as Mission Series, which is really meant to just say you are the mission, like you're God's, the church's people. So, uh, so we put the Happy Hour book in there, teach you how to throw a party, and then the Righteous Brews is the second book. Um, and any of those, each one of those I built with questions at the end. So I just say grab some friends. And if you go, hey, we're pretty good at family, but we suck at parties, let's you know maybe start with happy hour. And then if you go, no, we got to figure out the kid thing before it's too late, then maybe grab some parents and read that together. Um, but all the questions are in there for you. They're very short books because we know you don't have time to read if you're a parent. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things, too, that, uh, if you haven't signed up for the Kansas City Underground newsletter, um, I'm not trying to pimp our stuff, but about half of our newsletters usually with parents and microchurch leaders, what it looks like to just very practically um, disciple children. So that's another resource if you're interested. That's free. Uh, Hugh stuff he makes you pay for. <laughs> you have to go to Amazon and bow to Jeff Bezos and everything like that. But he gets all the money anyway. Jeff's making. You've seen his yacht. <laughs> yeah, he also goes to space now. His, his spaceship, the U, USS Amazon. We have we have lost the plot here, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I do. I think I want to end though on this. I want to end on this. For oh. your parents, any parents that are watching this, everybody that has talked to me went, "Well, crap! I already screwed it up." That's um, true. You haven't. The 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 best <laughs> way to make up lost time is to literally to go back and just sit on the bed and talk to your kids and go, Hey, yeah. I've come to realize that we we tried to give you guys religion, hoping that would like land the ship for you guys. And we know that you're not interested in religion. And I'm really sorry that the only thing we offered you was like church services. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. mom and I are kind of rethinking just like what it means to really follow Jesus again. And so we're sorry that we didn't give you a really good look, uh, but pray for us. We're going to try and like try to make this authentic the next 50 years. It, just in you saying that to your kids, even if they're in high school, maybe they've chucked it already. They don't want to go to church. But you just saying that, that will, that will make up for some lost time. Trust me on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think just pursuing, you know, that in your own life as well. I mean, just listening to you as well and just writing stuff down, some notes of, you know, Jesus telling us to come like little children was like, I was like, oh, I think I've always viewed that and come with, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I viewed it, honestly. But like when you said that today, I was like, oh, he really means like come really bad at it and come (laughs) really slow at learn. Like our kids cannot go at the pace that we go. And so like that willingness just to slow down, to apologize, to go, you know what, we've got loads of time and I'm going to pursue Jesus with, you know, that new way. And there's something I've been saying lately too, with, you know, we look at the stats with kids in the predominant model church. It's like, I don't know, it's like 80% or something 
quote unquote, leave the church when they're at 18. And I'm like, with our definition of extended spiritual family, I go, man, if my kids leave the church, that means they left my family. Yeah. And if that's, if that's, if they leave my family, I got, I got bigger problems than whether or not they love Jesus. You know, like, I mean, and, and that's the framework that I, I hope that they get to be raised in is to go, this is our family and Jesus defines our family. And I'll never want to leave this space. Yeah. Cheryl said the other day, she said, do you get tired of the kids being over every day, all day? <laughs> And we talked about that. We're like, yeah, it, it is. But we also like, we feel like we're the wealthiest people in the world. Like our kids want to be with us. We're their best friends mm -hmm. and they even want their friends to meet us. Um, they want their friends to be at our house. And mm -hmm. so I don't know. I just, I am so grateful. I, I'm sure we've screwed up on a lot of things, but the fact that my adult children want their adult friends to watch how we do family um, might be the, the best fruit I can see in the basket after all these years. Mm. I hope it only gets better. So, well, I think that's the deepest desire of every parent. Okay. And uh, thanks you for the time. I do want to recommend y'all check out righteous brood. He's also uh, writing a short article that uh, can be a taster. You can check that out. You working on that. Right. Network.com as well. Yeah, oh, that's all right, man. It's all good. One day notice. That's great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brother, thank you so much, uh, most of all, for your example, for your way of life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.